welcome to the So She Is podcast. I am your host, Katie Grimes, and this podcast is your one-stop shop for all things manifestation, neuroscience, spiritual evolution, healing, and living in alignment with the highest truth of who you actually are. I know that you pushing play today is no accident, and I am so grateful for you being here. So with that said, let's get this party started. Hello, welcome back to So She Is. Thank you so much for pushing play today. I am so grateful for you being here and being with me. This day that I am recording it on, it is a cloudy day. It is a bit dreary weather, but I personally love the rain. And I know so often we hate the rain or it's like common to not really love the rain and just want the sunny days. And it makes me think of the disco that I had last night where I played a song that was all about slowing down. It was like just seeing how it felt to move as slow as you possibly could and what comes up in slowness and stillness. And I feel like rainy days are a reflection of our internal world of like, what do we do when it's not shiny and bright outside what's going on in our internal system what's going on in our own home and are we very uncomfortable because we don't have the freedom to be outside and go 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 and it's rainy and it's not sunny and it's trafficy and I feel like there's just such a reflection in that contrast of like a rainy day versus a sunny day a happy day versus a sad day, you know, and we want to always rush through the rain, rush through. I can't wait for it to be sunny again. But what if we could just trust that it will be sunny again, that the weather will pick back up? I mean, I know it's not always ideal and it's not always conducive for like the schedule. I mean, you're, I'm someone who literally has my job all outside 99% of the time. So I get where the rain and weather can impact, but I feel like it's just such a good opportunity literally and metaphorically to do a internal check, a little housekeeping, seeing how we're doing, seeing how we feel when outside stimulation is taken away. And that's my little challenge. And tidbit for you if you're listening to this when it's raining can we lean into the rain instead of like trying to resist and neglect and oh I hate this what if we could just lean into it this too shall pass we can trust that for sure and then leaning into it with that being said silent disco I mentioned my one last night if you're like oh that sounds kind of interesting well I am here to invite you to the next one we have this Sunday at 4 30 I just am loving how this community is growing and expanding. It's been so, so, so amazing. And so I'd love to see you there. I feel, this is a little bit of a call. I feel like I mostly am with strangers when I know a lot of people that listen to this live in Cal, live within driving distance to Long Beach. And I have yet to see you at a disco. So if that is you, I'm looking you in the eyes right now. But I also wanted to remind you that So We Are Silent Disco during the week works with rehabilitation centers, nonprofits, psych wards, dementia homes, nursing homes, you name it. And I don't often promote that or broadcast that. I don't really know why. So this is me doing that. Uh, If you have a connection to either a facility or I work with a lot of like corporate team bonding, athletic team bonding, bonding of all kind or community of all kind, like a facility, like a rehabilitation center, I come in and we provide a really unique, special, and magical experience for about an hour. And so if that is something that you think either your business, your company, anything that you are connected to could benefit from, even if it's something like a nonprofit you volunteer at, please reach out via DM or email or text. I would love, love, love to take that conversation further and see if we could work together. If not, I hope to see you on Sunday. But regardless, I am so excited to introduce you to today's guest, Michaela Francis. Michaela Francis is a dear, amazing, brilliant friend of mine. I feel so lucky to have her on my team, to have her on my side, to just have a friend like her. I feel like everybody needs a friend like Michaela. She has had my back since the day I met her, which actually was at Cal State Fullerton through the softball team. So if you listen to the Kelsey Whitmore episode, we are back-to-back 
Fullerton alumni episodes, Tusk Up Baby. But that's the thing. I have some really, really, really cool friends and I feel so lucky that to have them in my life. And it would be silly for me to not interview them to acquire their knowledge. If you haven't listened to the Kelsey Whitmore podcast, please go listen to it. She's literally changing the world. And then this episode, I'm so glad that you are listening to it because Michaela is also changing the world in the mental health world. And if you've listened to prior episodes, I have been very open, very honest about my journey with anxiety, um, the physical manifestation of it, how it's really hindered my life and ability to function. And I knew I needed to get an expert on it because I had so much feedback from my first episode back about the truth of my 2022 and people wanting more and like wanting more practices. And I thought about interviewing my real therapist, but then I was like, oh my gosh, I have access to Michaela Francis, who's a practicing psychotherapist, who I have great chemistry with, and she's not my own therapist. And I, so I can go deep with Michaela and ask her all these questions and like allow her knowledge to shine and put my friend on a pedestal. And so I am so excited. If you have struggled with anxiety of any form, I hope that you are able to take something away from this. This is a psychotherapist practicing in New York City where she earned her master's in counseling for mental health and wellness from New York University in 2021. Currently, she is a member of Footprints Mental Health Counseling. She specializes in providing therapy for individuals presenting with complex trauma utilizing DBT, IV, IFS, and somatic modalities in an anti-racist framework. We dive deep into all of this. And I'm so excited for you to hear the different ways that she helps her clients navigate these complex trauma, especially and including anxiety. But prior to her work as a therapist, Michaela earned a bachelor's in human services at Cal State Fullerton and was, as I said, an alumni of the Titan softball team where she contributed to three back-to-back Big West conference titles. She also was a student athlete advisory committee president for three years, providing mental health education and resource development. She also was a member of the Helen Gurley Brown Bold Women's Leadership Network. And once she graduated from CSUF, a bold fellow working at the Family Justice Center of Sonoma County, where she served survivors of family and sexual violence and conducted polyvictimization research that sparked her desire to specialize in trauma work. Michaela is literally a gift to this world. She is changing the world, and I'm so excited for you all to hear her and give her the takeaways. She doesn't really post on social media in her, you know, like she keeps it professional. She doesn't like to, she's not like a therapist on TikTok or a therapist on Instagram, but if you do choose to follow her, please send her all the love. If you are listening and have her phone number, send her all the love. Again, if you don't have any of that contact information, you could send me a DM, you could send me a text, an email, and I will pass it along gladly because there is always more than enough love to go around and it feels so good to receive it after you put something out there. So without further ado, here is Michaela Francis. Hello, Michaela. <laughs> Welcome to So She Is. Thanks for being here. Hi, Katie. Happy to be here. I've been waiting a long time. Very excited that you finally nailed me down on the schedule and now we're here. I know. How's New York? How's the weather over there now? Um, It's pretty good, actually. It's like in the 40s today, a little drizzle, but you know, that's like embracing what, it. That's what we are at like here too. It's so cold. But anyways, <laughs> enough about the weather. <laughs> I am so excited to have you on because I did an episode about my struggles with anxiety and I was like, mm-hmm. I need to get someone who knows deeper about what anxiety is um Mm -hmm. and then you were the first person that I was like wait duh like why not have Michaela come on but before we you know dive into the depths of mental health I'd love Mm -hmm. to know and allow the audience to know just a bit more about your journey to becoming a mental health professional so however you want to take that question just roll with it absolutely so I'll start at the present moment. So I'm currently a uh, mental health counselor with a limited permit practicing in the state of New York. Um, I am a therapist working mostly with um, clients who have severe trauma histories, um, complex PTSD, 
Um, lots of them struggle with anxiety. Um, I kind of always wanted to be in the mental health field and always had a passion for it, even when I was a really little kid. Um, and eventually it was just kind of always seen as what I would do. And then I kind of started to realize like, oh, maybe some of this passion that I have for this is coming from the fact that I'm struggling with some mental health issues, right? I went to college, became a college athlete. There's a lot of stuff that goes with that, a lot of pressure, a lot of anxieties, a lot of new experiences. And so I kind of, while avoiding mental health services altogether out of anxiety, I uh, kind of pushed for mental health programming at my university at Cal State Fullerton with you um, and really cared about chatting about it, specifically student athlete health. And then um, I graduated from um, Cal State Fullerton and got into this grad program at NYU for mental health counseling and started therapy myself and started to recognize how much of an impact anxiety had in my life, how prevalent it was. I think before I really sat down and looked at it from a different perspective, I didn't realize how much of a barrier it had been that I didn't even realize I was carrying. Mm -hmm. And then I sat down with somebody and started to unpack all that anxiety and recognize like, oh my God, what, what would have happened if I had been able to sort of recognize this earlier and understand why it's happening and not see it as this negative monster on my back as opposed to something that's showing up for a reason and is my body's way of trying to help me and get me present to what's going on. So I've kind of shifted into this space within my work as a therapist where my goal is to help clients kind of identify what anxiety they have, right? Why are we feeling this anxiety? But let's think about how it's helping us in showing up, right? That anxiety is doing us a favor. It's a full body physiological reaction that sort of is our nervous system telling us something's not right. We're scared that something's gonna happen to us that's gonna hurt us either emotionally, physically, psychologically. And so we have that part that's jumping in and saying, hey, let's, let's get activated. Let's like be aware, right? And so it's about learning to like honor that part that's showing up with anxiety and recognize how it's just a part of us trying to help ourselves, but we need to get in check and be like, I hear you. I respect that you're showing up. I'm grateful you're showing up. But how do we get to a place where it's you and I having a dialogue and me saying, I've got this now. We don't need to be anxious. We are safe. It is going to be okay. Because even if we fail at whatever we're afraid of, we still have ourselves and we're still okay. And we'll still show up for ourselves. Mm -hmm. That's a long-winded answer to that question that kind of got into the topic of anxiety, but that's kind of a full circle of like where I started to where I kind of am in my perspective on practice today. I, there's so many places that I now want to go from there, but I just want to, cause I was thinking about you in college and to say like, oh, I was just a college athlete. I was stressed is such like an understated version of what Michaela was. <laughs> she was involved in everything, but is that, do was that like when you said you look back and you're like, oh, I wonder if that was just the monster on my back. Is that that like aggressively booked schedule? Like you are booked and mm -hmm. busy. So is it like if someone only feels safe in that busyness, like is that a sign that maybe there's something like, hey, you should probably slow down? Um, I think it was a testament to how disconnected I was from my body. Mm. Right. We um, a big part of my practice as well is very somatic focused. And when we think about the culture that we live in, that's ruled by white supremacy, capitalism, systems of oppression and marginalization, it's crucial that we are disconnected from our body. We're taught from a very young age to disconnect from what we're feeling, whether it's being told, buck up, don't cry, um, go to your room until you until you calm down um, in kindergarten, being told we go to the bathroom at recess. We eat snacks at recess, right? We're constantly being taught to divest from our physical experience and our connection to our body. And so a big way to do that is by stockpiling our schedule. If I am so busy that I'm never taking a moment to sit with my mind and my body, I can't focus on the anxiety. I can run away from it. Mm -hmm. I can run away from everything that's actually underneath that's stressing me out, but I'm avoiding it by being on four committees and being a college athlete and doing all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. I got chills when you were talking about 
all of that. You also mentioned parts. So I believe that you practice internal family systems. Yes, correct. I would love, love, love if you just gave, like, it could be SparkNote, but you could also give some like emphasis on it of like what internal family systems is and how it could really help someone. Cause I think it is like mm-hmm. one of the most helpful modalities. Yeah. So I got into internal family systems because by chance, when I decided to start therapy, I chose a therapist who practiced internal family systems. Um, And then as I kind of went through my own therapy journey with her, I was also interning at a um, trauma-focused treatment center that um, kind of leaned into that same idea. And so it kind of was a beautiful merging of my clinical experience and my personal experience where I dove into internal family systems and use it in my practice with all of my clients. And the idea is that we have a system of of parts inside of ourselves. And all of these parts are our younger selves, right? Our past selves that developed um, roles in our life, right? And so there's three major parts that we work with, three types like archetypes. We have the manager. So the manager is the type of part that shows up to keep us going, right? So the manager is the person who was telling me, my manager is this like three-year-old version of myself in a ballerina outfit, and I call her the perfectionist, right? That three-year-old version of myself that is so focused on managing everything through perfection and managing everything through um, overbooking myself and doing everything, right? She's working her hardest because she sees that as the way to stay safe. Mm-hmm. right so she's managing me on a daily basis saying yes wake up at 6 a.m go to weights then go to practice then go to class then go to meetings da, da, da. it's managing you probably a part that's saying yes then wake up and do that podcast and then do my yoga class and then don't go start an LA Times right like noted company right so that part is our manager that keeps us kind of going running the system at all times Mm-hmm. Right. So those are our general coping mechanisms, emotion regu- regulation skills. Then we have our firefighters. And these are the ones that are showing up when we are in crisis. So maybe this is when um, shit hits the fan with a relationship. Shit hits the fan at work. Um, there's just something going on that creates extreme anxiety, right? Or depression or fear, whatever. This firefighter is the one who jumps in and says, okay, this is how we handle crisis. We can fight, right? We can, maybe we dissociate. Maybe we go into a state of fawning where we are so focused on just pleasing everyone and shape-shifting ourselves to ensure that no one's upset with us and we can maintain some some sense of safety. (laughs) The amount of times you've said, Katie... That's just a fawn response, but it's fine. Like, I'll let it go. <laughs> like, when I'll tell you about something and you're like, you're just fawning, but it's okay. Like, <laughs> but yes, please. That's my go to. I love, I love, yeah. you know, my firefighters are fawners. <laughs> mm-hmm. And fawners are sometimes our strictest parts because they are like, no, 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 no. I have observed this system for my, for our whole life. And I know it like the back of my hand and I know how to read everyone's feelings and manage them, right? So even though it, we're talking about managing, that's coming up in crisis as well. And all of those kind of responses and reactions can be done by all the parts, right? But they're kind of just the idea of like the kind of lower grade chronic level of dysregulation versus when we get into states of hyper or hypo arousal, which is like panic attack or dissociated depressed episode where we're not leaving bed for a few days or we're disconnected from the body. Got it. So we had the manager, firefighter, and you said there's three. Yes. The last one we have is the exile. And so the exiles are these parts of ourselves that had shame poured onto them. Mm. So those parts of ourselves that I think sometimes a lot of times we can refer to those as like our shadows. Um, We can refer to those as kind of like the part of ourselves that we feel a need to hide an exile, right? Mm -hmm. Because we've been taught that it's not enough or that it's wrong or that it's shameful to be that way. And so that could be the part of you that's comfortable saying, I have a need in this relationship Mm -hmm. and I would like you to hear me or the part that got shamed for 
um, not fitting beauty standards growing up, right? Or an exile can be this part that learned to feel shame about being a black kid who's trans growing up in America where all of those identities are oppressed, right? Mm -hmm. Those exiles come up and we do a really good job of developing systems to keep them away, right? Right. And we want to develop a system where instead of all of these parts running the show, jumping in and managing, um, jumping in and firefighting for us, or forcing us to disconnect out of shame, it's our core self, our present self, our adult self, right? Who we can rely on and who will always show up for us saying, I hear you all, you guys are so great. Like, I love that you're showing up for me and like my younger self is here trying to help me, but I think I have a better way now. And we don't have to do that. We don't have to dissociate. We don't have to people please. And so it's kind of the more abstract part of the work with anxiety, right? There's that like emotional processing work. And then there's the learning skills, learning tangible skills to manage and be in a place that you're even connected to those parts. Because it's not easy to just decide one day, okay, I just need to sit there and figure out where all these parts are and it'll just show up to me. Right. I wish, right? Yeah. It, would make, it would make the therapy process much easier, but it's this really intentional journey of connecting with all of those parts and developing intentional relationships with them. Um, and even beyond that, doing the work to even be in a place where it's safe to do that, right? So we think about avoidance back to like circling back to my college experience. I was able to avoid doing that work because I was so busy, right? I could, I could avoid connecting with those parts. I could avoid doing any of that, which was what was safe because it wouldn't have been safe for me to try to address all of my anxiety and worries and fears while I was doing all of those things my psyche knew that it wasn't safe and there wasn't time, right? So then I graduate, I have a little bit more space, a little bit more time, and it's finally safe to sit with those parts and they feel safe to, to show up, right? Because mm -hmm. it's not on demand. Right. And we can't just say, hey, exile, show up, we need to chat, right? <laughs> They're right. in charge. They decide when they show up, right? And that's why it's so important to show that gratitude for them. Um, curious. Do you think also the fact that you moved from California to New York, like the physical space separation also helps in that scenario? Not that someone needs to move across the country, but maybe if you're in the fire, mm -hmm. I, it just seems like it would be much easier to for a fresh start. <laughs> to work yeah. Well, and sometimes large shifts, right? You don't need a life change to start therapeutic work, but sometimes a life change is a catalyst because it invokes such anxiety. Mm. right that gets us to a place where we're like oh this is okay hold on <laughs> maybe I need to talk to somebody about this because this is all feeling really overwhelming and right. oh I'm scared that I'm going into this really lauded institution right and I'm like having a, a, an anxiety attack the day before I start grad school and I'm like okay maybe I should make that call and go to therapy because yeah. things aren't status quo anymore I'm I'm in that firefighter space Right. Where I'm like, oh, I'm in a new place, a new city of 8 million people going to this grad school, this huge decision that's altering my life. Okay. The anxiety has peaked and it needs to be addressed, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. It's kind of like how rock bottom, like I always say like everyone's entitled to your rock bottom because typically it brings you to like finally address it. Like, I feel like my rock mm -hmm. bottoms have been my catalyst for literally everything. And it's always such a bummer. Cause it's like, what if we could just like not get there? <laughs> <laughs> but so often I feel like it does require like that motivation level or like, okay, I got to figure this out stems from there. Mm -hmm. And so I think something that also really, um, because I did want to focus on anxiety today and talk about anxiety. I think it helps to kind of understand because anxiety feels so, um, big. It feels so out mm -hmm. of your control. It feels, it just feels like a lot is there any way that you could help just like if someone, because I know when I feel it and I know when other people describe it, it's like, 
I can't breathe all of a sudden. What's going on with my mm-hmm. body? Like you like, like, like lose all trust in your body's ability. Mm-hmm. But I feel like when we bring like the intellectual side of like being able to understand just like at a baseline, what is anxiety and why does it feel mm-hmm. like it's actually going to kill you? Like, I feel like people go to the ER sometimes for panic attacks, mm-hmm. which Absolutely. is totally valid, but like, that's where it's like, but that was in my mind. So could you help shed light and uh, just on understanding it? Well, I think that's the biggest misconception right there is that it's in my mind, mm-hmm. right? Anxiety is a full body physiological reaction to stimulus. Whether it's an event, a thought, a feeling, whatever it is, an emotion is a reaction. That is our full body taking something in and our nervous system outputting a bodily reaction and then intellectual reaction, right? So if we think about like an emotion cycle, which anxiety is like one of the main emotions, right? What we can think of is emotions start as an interpretation. So we have the prompting event, right? Whatever that could be. Let's say it's this meeting, right? I was feeling some anxiety coming in here because there's a recording of me chatting about something that I work in and that I've studied for and that I claim to know about, right? But that's an opportunity also to not know the answer to a question or to stumble over my words or to feel a little frazzled and not perform as well as I'd like to, right? You're doing amazing, just so you know. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Um, But so that's like the prompting event, right? So the prompting event is this podcast recording, right? But This podcast recording, the fact that I'm recording a podcast does not create anxiety in my body. What creates anxiety in my body is all of that meaning I just added to that podcast recording, right? The interpretation. So how I'm understanding or making sense of what happened, right? So I'm assuming, oh, well, if I were to stumble on my words, then I would not be taken seriously or respected or I would look silly or stupid, right? Maybe that's that exile part coming up right mm-hmm. and so that perfectionist part is probably coming up also saying oh no if we just like have our notes like I made before we came here today and I have all of my stuff ready I can manage it right mm-hmm. but it's all about the interpretation I'm putting onto that event right so I'm making meaning out of facts out of cold hard events right and then once I make that meaning I go into emotional experiencing about it and that's where we experience brain changes we experience like face and body changes. Um, we're sensing the emotion. So maybe with anxiety, it's that um, pitter patter of our heartbeat racing. We start to take more of a shallow breath, right? Maybe we sense some um, sweat in our palms, right? Um, and what also happens in this moment is what is called the emotional action urge. And this is what emotions are for. An action urge is a way for our body to short circuit us into action. Right. Because when we are feeling an emotion and an emotion is taking over, we're acting out on our lizard brain. Right. Which is the back part of our brain, our amygdala, as opposed to our prefrontal cortex, which is where we have critical thinking, impulse control, emotion regulation. Right. All of those like human behaviors. Right. But so when we get into that emotional experiencing, we're in short circuit action urge mode. And so that tells us fight, flight freeze, panic, right? Whatever it tells us. And it moves us into that action space, right? And then once we feel that, we then go into emotional expressing, which is the external experience of the emotion. So body language, um, facial expression, words and actions acting out on that emotion, right? Mm -hmm. Then we move into the after effects of an emotion, which is memories, overthinking, ruminating, and being more likely to continue that emotion cycle at whatever happens next. Because mm-hmm. I'm already in this anxious headspace, right? So when I hop onto this thing and let's say the, um, my, I, couldn't, I couldn't connect to the audio right away, right? Mm-hmm. Because I'm already anxious, because I'm thinking about how messing this up could be bad, I'm also getting into a space where I'm like, okay, and Katie's going to hate me because I'm two minutes late because I can't find my headphones. Mm. right and then you couldn't connect to the audio and they could then I couldn't connect to the audio and like all of that so all of a sudden it's not just oh I need to figure out where my headphones are give me one second 
it's mm-hmm. me not having my headphones meaning so much more than me not having my headphones mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and so what's important to note though is that sometimes our interpretations are accurate and they're valid right because we want to make sure we're not gaslighting ourselves out of all of our emotions especially when we think about how there's lots of things that should make us anxious in the world we're living in right <laughs> right it makes sense to be anxious and so what we have to do is assess in those moments okay let me check in with my body which we're not taught to do then let me assess what's what are the facts of what i'm reacting to right okay the facts are I was a little late for the podcast or the facts are this podcast feels important and I want to do well, right? Then we have to figure out what we're adding to it. We have to figure out what we're making meaning of. But with some stuff, it's like, no, you should be feeling anxious. So let's move into problem solving mode. Let's address that thing that makes you feel anxious about it and change up your life so that it's not a problem anymore. Or let's figure out how to come to a different solution, right? But kind of the basic starting point for addressing anxiety is getting to know it, right? As kind of where you feel it in your body, where that part is showing up, and then what what meaning you've made of the situation. And then you assess from there, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. I want to make it about myself because, Perfect. <laughs> because I feel, and I'm sure other people who have their own journey and experience with anxiety or any form of mental health situations, maybe feel like, well, that's like close to what I feel, but that's not really what I feel. So I'm going to tell you how my anxiety shows up and then maybe we could help others understand it better as well through this. Yeah. And so I realized like literally yesterday in a therapy session, like, so a lot of my anxiety I realize is symptoms, especially in my digestion. And then I definitely live in the, what's going to happen again. And like, Mm -hmm. so that, and all that, but I realized maybe the outside event isn't what triggers it. I mean, I'm sure the buildup of my life and having my own business that's growing mm-hmm. is enough to do it. But typically how mine starts is a sensation in my body that triggers mm-hmm. chaos. So mm-hmm. let's say my stomach pinges or I get a gas bubble. It's then you're going to shit your pants. And you're probably going to do it again and again and again. And then what if you don't even sleep? Like, I really struggle with the sleep thing. Like, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, what if this happens all night long? And then you don't even sleep. And then you can't even do that. And then could you even imagine? Especially because it happened in the summer. Mm-hmm. It recently kind of like started to like creep back in. And I started to realize like, or I'll be in a grocery store. And my head will all of a sudden feel like a hot air balloon and a little bit light. Like, and then it's like, well, are you going to faint? Is this going to happen? It's like catastrophizing mm-hmm. a sensation. And so let's say someone maybe doesn't have Maybe someone feels a lot more in their body than they have access to Mm -hmm. their thoughts and the thoughts, you can see the thoughts make it worse, but you're like, but I think it started with a feeling, Mm -hmm. um, or maybe it starts with the chest. I just know mine's my, always my stomach. So, uh, I don't know if you could like kind of dive into that or what you would say about that in regards. So that's where we get into the physical piece, right? So you have the luxury of being present enough to your body to notice that that's a trigger. Okay. I'm hyper aware of my body, unfortunately. (laughs) So when we notice that, right, that's like a golden ticket for us to begin hoping ahead. Mm -hmm. Right. So we build mastery of our body and recognize, Oh, I have that feeling that I know takes me to that headspace. Right. So I'm going to jump in and change my body chemistry so that my body doesn't take over and change my mental state as well. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Mm -hmm. So it's starting with that sensation in the stomach. You're walking in the grocery store and you notice it, right? Probably what's sitting there saying, I'm not going to shit my pants. I'm not going to shit my pants. I'm not going (laughs) to shit my pants. Isn't enough. Right. It's not going to make that feeling go away in your stomach. Right. No, it so, makes it worse. Cause it's like, well, what if you do, but what if you do, but what if you do? Right. Because what we do in that moment is think about the future. Mm. Right. Mm. We're not thinking about what's happening right now. We're thinking about, oh my God, what, all the, what are all the bad things that can happen? What are all the bad things that can happen? Right. We need to, in that moment, root ourselves to our body 
right? Root ourselves to that experience in the stomach and move into changing the body chemistry. And there's lots of ways that we can do that, right? What you're talking about are these physical symptoms of dysregulation, right? So we have our window of tolerance, right? And when we're in our window of tolerance, that's when we feel good. Life is easy. Um, challenges that come our way are easily um, over, can be easily overcome. We don't feel stressed or overwhelmed easily. When we start to dysregulate, right, because we feel a tinge in our stomach, right, we start to lose, uh, well, what happens is our sympathetic nervous system gets activated, and that's our fight or flight, right, mm -hmm. that's the, that part of the nervous system, and so what we have to do is we have to calm that system down, and so we have to activate our parasympathetic nervous system, which is the rest and digest nervous system, Interestingly enough, rest and digest as we talk about you shitting your pants in the grocery store, right? <laughs> so we have to, in those moments when we get anxious and perceive a threat, right? Because for you, the threat you're perceiving is not only doesn't, it's not your stomach feeling bad that's the threat. It's me shitting my pants in this grocery store and then not sleeping for two days because I keep doing it. Yeah, it's good. Right? <laughs> so instead of going all the way over there, Let's instead work on calming the body down and putting our mental energy and focus back into our prefrontal cortex of our brain, get our brain function back there where we can say, I'm not going to shit my pants and everything's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. we, we have to, before we can get to a mental space to check the facts or be rational, right, about these fears, we have to do the body chemistry first. Because when we are activated and dysregulated and leave that window of tolerance, our brain function goes to that lizard brain, that amygdala, mm -hmm. where we are fight or flight. We are simply going off physical urges, emotion urges, right? So you have to change the body chemistry first. And that's when there's lots of ways to do that. But three of my favorites are, um, one is activating your mammalian diving reflex, Okay. This one you probably can't do in a grocery store, but this one is good for, let's say you're at home and you start to feel like you're having an anxiety attack, right? Whatever stimulus happens, sets you off, you notice the feeling in your stomach, which then turns into the heart racing and the cold sweats, right? Mm -hmm. To activate our uh, mammalian diving reflex, what we do is we place our face into a bowl of ice water. And what this does, is by putting our bowl, our face in the bowl of ice water, we're activating this reflex in our body for that was developed long, long time ago, since we are mammals, that slows our heart rate and expands our breath cycle when we are inverted and uh, subjected to cold water mm. so that we can stay underwater longer to dive, to do whatever, to be down there, right? What that does is, is changes the body chemistry of anxiety, which is increased heart rate, shallow breath, right? This forces our body to change itself, right? So we're not relying on our own intellect or presence, right? Because in the moment when we're thinking we're going to shit ourselves, we don't have those things. We're in panic mode, mm -hmm. right? So we're forcing the, the, the change, right? Onto an external factor right? We're sticking our head in that ice water. All I need to do is be able to, to be able to stick my head in the ice water, right? That one's tough to seconds. do in the grocery store. Yeah. Uh, so what you should do is do it for 30 seconds. Okay. Right. So that also causes us to um, hold our breath, right? Which also helps reset the breathing cycle. Mm. Okay. And so one thing with this skill and a lot of the other skills that I'm going to talk about they're changing our heart rate and changing our breathing patterns. So if you are someone with heart issues, just a disclaimer, <laughs> um, check with your doctor before you use any of these skills, because depending on if you have heart issues on beta blockers, have a history of an eating disorder, those kinds of things that impact the heart can impact your ability to do this safely. So always check with a doctor before you decide to utilize these skills, if that's an issue for you. But I have a quick question about that. Yeah. Um, so 30 seconds in there. Now, like I said, so let's say it happens at the grocery store and then, then it gets better. I get home and then nighttime, like I said, the sleeping thing mm -hmm. can be a trigger for me. Would this be a appropriate activity if someone has nighttime anxiety to do at night? Or is this more of like a, 
wake her up. It just sounds kind of like wake her upery, like it could <laughs> jolt you. But I mean, it's something I would do literally every night just to like feel better. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And so there is that, that feeling of like, it's going to put you in more of an alert, like, Oh, hello, I'm awake. Right. That feeling. Um, that may be the case, but also it is going to be slowing down your heart rate and your breathing cycle. So maybe we'd assume that's what we'd feel. Right. But we don't know until we try that exercise. Right. But there's also other skills that lend more to nighttime routines, mm-hmm. right. To manage that anxiety if it, uh, resurfaces, right? So what we would then move into is the pace breathing option. And so pace breathing is where we, instead of relying on dunking our face in water, ourselves through counting um, and intentional mindful breathing, calm the body and shift ourselves from that sympathetic nervous system to parasympathetic nervous system so that we can bring ourselves back into that window of tolerance, right? And so with pace breathing, this one's very simple. All we're doing is we're extending the cycle of our breath, right? Because when you think about normal day-to-day living your life breath, right? We're probably going, which is like a two-second breath, right? That's pretty short. We want to extend our breath cycle to 10 to 12 seconds. Mm. So that's a really elongated breath cycle compared to when we're normally breathing, especially if we're in a state of anxiety where it's almost like panting, right? Really shallow. And then we also want to make our exhale two seconds longer than our inhale. So if we're going for a 10 second breath cycle, that would be a four second inhale and a six second exhale. If we're going for a 12 second breath cycle, which can be a little too long for some people because we're so used to having those shallow, shorter breath cycles, um, it would be um, five and seven, right? And so what you do when, when you engage in that breath is we are doing that same thing of getting ourselves out of the fight or flight system reaction and getting ourselves into the rest and digest system that tells us we're safe. Things are okay. We can safely go to the bathroom, right? Not panic, go to the bathroom, but we feel in a place that we're safe and can sleep, right? So we can do pace breathing. And then sometimes something that can help with pace breathing is the addition of guided muscle relaxation as we do that. So with each extended inhale, we're flexing a part of the body. And then as we uh, exhale, we release that tension with Mm. the exhale. And that kind of also helps not just uh, activate the breath, right? And utilize the breath as a calming energy, but it utilizes all parts of our body. And it's a wonderful way to kind of check in on where we're at physically at the end of the day. I love that. I've never really heard of breathing with the flexing. Yeah. I really like that. It can be helpful to say, um, relax every time you exhale and release that muscle tension. And you can go as intense as you want with some, t- with some people, it's just big, five big blocks, right? Like, okay, head, arms, torso, legs, right? But sometimes it's, I'm going to start with the very top of my scalp and notice any tension or pressure that might be there. And then I'm going to move down to tensing my eyes or my eyebrows and then tensing my jaw or then my neck, then my shoulders, then my fingers, right? Going very, very, very slowly and extending that practice, which can really, really help you get into a space where the mind's a little slower. Everything feels a little easier to manage, like that feeling coming up in our stomach. And we're able to say, yes, I have a twinge in my stomach, but that doesn't mean I'm going to shit my pants. Right. For three days straight. (laughs) For three days straight, right? (laughs) It's so dramatic. And was that too? I think you have one more, right? Oh yeah. So that's, and then the last one, which is also very helpful um, with before bed is intense exercise. So ideally we want to do intense exercise for about 30 minutes. And when we do that, we are peaking the heart rate, right? And exhausting the body of all of that energy and adrenaline and hormones that are associated with the fight or flight um, reaction. Right. So instead of um, trying to force ourselves to calm down, we're forcing ourselves to exert all of that energy. And that should get us into a place that's a little more calm down. Again, 30 minutes is great for when you've had a long, anxious day. You have that beautiful window of 30 minutes before bed to go exercise. Sometimes, if you're in a situation where you need to calm down now, it can be 30 seconds of burpees or 30 seconds of really intense high knees. 
-hmm. anything that gets you into a space where you're so focused on physically exerting yourself, your mind is pulled away from whatever that catastrophizing um, thought is. I love that. It's kind of like leaning into it versus like, I'm just going to like try to breathe through it. Cause I think sometimes the breathing can feel hard when you can't breathe. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think with, I think the biggest challenge is how disconnected we all are from the breath to begin with, typically, mm-hmm. right? right. Um, we need to become comfortable with the breath and kind of get to know it as an anchor, mm-hmm. right? Anytime I feel dysregulated, I'm going to come back to my breath, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where I start. Anytime I am feeling overwhelmed, right? I want to utilize the breath, but if I'm not connected to the breath, the other 98% of the time, it's not going to be easy to call on the breath when we're in panic mode. Right. Right. So it's about developing a common practice. And that's where we say like build mastery and cope ahead. We want to build these skills and become connected to our breath, become connected to our triggers, our, the things that we know are signs, right? So that twinge in the stomach, right? If we know that that's what's going to cause us ascending into a state of anxiety, right? That's building mastery, knowing ourselves to the point when we know when we need to step in with a skill. And so we also need to build the mastery of the skill, which is trying to do that breathing every day, right? Or Mm -hmm just having moments where you connect to the breath, right? Even if it's during a work day, right? And you're going meeting to meeting. What if you tried to commit to one minute of mindful breathing in between each meeting, right? How much more connected would you feel to your body and to that breath? And how much easier is it going to feel to call on it, right? Come the moment of panic, right? If we think, if we put it in softball terms, right? We're not going to like never ever throw a change up in practice and then try to go throw one in a game when it really matters. Mm-hmm. Right. That would be a really bad plan. <laughs> right. Right. We would be in trouble. They would be picking our change up. We would be throwing it in the dirt and above the catcher's head. Right. It's hard to pick something up only when we're in the moment. We have yeah. to practice these skills and not just try to launch into them when we're in that state of anxiety and dysregulation. Totally. I love that analogy too. Cause yeah, it can feel like something that's just like, um, like you just like a nine one one, like, okay, I just need the breath now. And mm-hmm. that is a really good point that it's really hard to call on the breath when it's like, mm-hmm. you only know how to shallow breathe. I mean, still to this day, I feel like I struggle to get like the depth of a breath, like in my mm-hmm. back and in like expanding my rib cage that far and fully being in my diaphragm. But um, and I am someone that practices it. So it, I can, there's always room for that. I'm really curious about the body again, coming back to this and there there's, I know I feel this way. I have two different questions and that's why I'm kind of delaying because I'm not sure where I want to go with it because so when I feel disconnected from my body or let's say I do shit my pants or I have a night where it's like all night on the potty. Mm -hmm. That feels like betrayal to me. Uh, That feels like my body failed me. Like sleeping Mm -hmm. is something you should be able to do. Or let's say it happens during the day. And then how would, or, or let's, I'm going to go for a different example. Let's say I have a panic attack every time let's say I'm having a panic attack, like once a day where it feels like I can't go anywhere because my body's doing this thing Mm -hmm. that I don't have control of. How would you go about helping somebody first in that mindset? Like, how would you help maybe reframe or how you, Mm -hmm. I'll let you talk. And then what advice, these are two separate questions, but you can answer it however you want. Cause they go together of like, would you give to someone who's finding it like debilitating to live? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, hmm. first, we need to sit with why these feelings and symptoms are coming up. Right. And that brings us back to the parts work. Okay. Right. So when we have that panic attack coming up every day about 
whatever it is, but it's telling, it's getting, it's preventing us from leaving the house, right? Maybe it's fear of going outside. Maybe it's something along those lines. That is a firefighter in that moment showing up and saying, like lights are on, red alarms, like everything's chaos. We cannot leave the house, mm -hmm. right? That anxiety is showing up for some reason and saying, well, no, 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 no. <laughs> Things aren't okay. We have to take over, right? And so it's important to recognize that those feelings coming up are our body's defenses and these parts of ourselves just trying to come up with the best solution they know how to use right now, right? Mm -hmm. This is what your body has used to stay safe until now, right? Your body is picking up on a threat, whatever it may be, and going into this dysregulated state as, an, as a means to try to protect you. That firefighter is just trying to protect you and it thinks it knows best, right? So we have to get to a space first where we, aren't angry at our body and our parts for having needs, mm. right? We have right. to recognize, oh yeah, it makes sense that my younger self developed that defense and needs to take over right now, right? Because if I haven't done the work to show her that the outside world is safe, hell yeah, she's gonna scream and set off the fire alarm, mm -hmm. right? So sometimes it's about going back and nurturing that relationship with those, these parts that built up these defenses, showing them gratitude for fighting for us our whole life and utilizing this defense, right? But as we develop that relationship, if we build mastery of these skills and learn how to cope ahead, we get them to trust us and see that there's a different way. Mm. We can say, hey, come with me. I know that you're scared and I know that you're trying so hard and I'm so grateful that this is what you think is best and that you're doing what you think is right, but there's a new way. We don't have to be in panic mode. We can handle this. We aren't that seven-year-old kid who didn't have agency and power. We do have the ability to overcome. We aren't that exile who thinks that going out and being seen is an opportunity to be ostracized or feel not enough, right? We can show them that, well, we are enough, so it doesn't matter what happens when we go outside, right? If we do that work and get to a space where we honor the needs of those younger selves, right? And show them that we have worked on it to get to a place where we have the actual tangible skills to, to take over and that are more effective, Right, that's kind of that intersection of where the parts work and the tangible skills meet. Is we have to do the work to identify why the anxiety is there, right? I'm sure there's a lot of stuff we'd have to unpack about why you are so afraid of shitting in the grocery store. Right. Right, and until we do that, that anxiety is not gonna go away, right? We can do all these tangible skills all we want, but they're a band-aid. Mm -hmm. We also have to go in and do that work with our managers, our firefighters, and our exiles and recalibrate our system, right? right? So that it's not those three types of parts fighting, right? And instead, it's you and maybe even the way that it works for you is looking at it as like an orchestra, mm -hmm. right? And instead of a conductorless orchestra, which is how it feels when we're in that state of anxiety and panic and dysregulation we want to be able to always be the conductor right mm -hmm. is that the word I don't know um who is able to I just watched tar very good film much more about music than um lesbianism which was kind of disappointing but regardless um we want to be able to say I'm calling on you to utilize this skill right now okay it's your turn to show up manager this is a good time for you because mm -hmm. there's still value in why they're showing up and the skills they've utilized, right? It's just tweaking right. them because we want to be on a good, in a good standing with them and have a nurtured, balanced relationship. But your present self, your core self is the one that's running the show. Yes. I love that. So we, we have like a wide range of people who listen to this 
podcast like it's a very wide range just like so we are as a wide range of an audience this is a <laughs> wide range of a podcast mainly women but so I feel like in my time just like witnessing and being in this healing space I kind of wanted to see what you've seen and pick your brain I I mean I feel like maybe the people who are on like an older demographic listening might be like well pfft, not me like whatever you're listening to like that's a bummer and then I feel like the younger people would be like, yes, and X, Y, Z, 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 Z. Like there's all mm-hmm. these other things going on, like dive in more, dive in more. I need help. I need help. And I'm wondering, one, do you also see that, that like there's some, and I don't, I've, I don't know if like, I have a theory that social media is playing a big role. The pandemic plays a big role in this, but as you know, Curly is a college softball coach. So like she sees a lot in the mental health world, in the college mm-hmm. athletics in their meetings and all the things, I mean, they're navigating panic attacks in within athletes in the training room mm-hmm. daily, if not like multiple times daily across the board. I know like certain schools are preventing a suicide once a week. Like there's, mm-hmm. there's just like so much, I feel like in way more than say when we were even playing, which was only like Mm -hmm. four years ago, three years ago. So first of all, what's going on? (laughs) Why is it so like, well, like what in the mental health space are you guys talking about, about like what's going on and why, why is everybody kind of like freaking out? Why are all the firefighters out? Why does everybody feel like Mm -hmm. they have a firefight, like their hose ready to go? Um, and And maybe even if you could shed light on people who are older, who don't understand why everybody low key wants to die and why everybody like is just so struggling. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you're like, that's too big of a question for me, that's okay too. I'm just like witnessing it. I'm like, you, you're in it. You're, you're the first responder in this, this crisis, this mental health crisis Mm -hmm. we're in. And I'd love if you shed light on it. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that which we we spoke to a little bit earlier is the idea that there's a lot of shit to be anxious about, mm-hmm. right? We are living in times that are as the last three years, the word of the year has been unprecedented, right? Damn it. Times are unprecedented, that word. Right. <laughs> and that's just in relation, right? People are mostly relate uh, referring to the pandemic, right? But we are also in, the midst of really intense human rights fights right now. We have a lot going on politically. There's anti-trans legislature being presented and passed and debated um, in states on nearly a daily basis at this moment, right? We have Supreme Court rulings that are putting fears of access to uh, abortions, of access to life-saving care in the form of gender-affirming care. fear of um, same-sex marriage, interracial marriage being uh, stricken down, right? And while those things may feel very far away and seem very far away, right, there's still something that's constantly going on and constantly on the back of our minds, right? I think that as a result of being, like you said, on social media, not only are we privy to more knowledge than ever before, right? We know more about everything that's going on than anyone has ever had the opportunity to. If I hear, I'm hearing about the protests in Palestine, and I'm hearing about the protests in France, and I'm hearing about issues in countries all over the world, right? So I'm also hearing all of this news about everything that's going on politically. And then also I'm getting the tweets that are coming up about acid rain and how the world's going to end in 50 years because of climate change, right? And then we're talking about you know, social justice issues, right? Such as police brutality, um, things, so many layered issues, right? That are so present and that we're so aware of because of social media. And I think also on top of all of that, having a pandemic that allowed everyone a moment to stop, mm-hmm. right? And actually sit with their body sit with their feelings, sit with the world and the state it's in and say, oh shit, there's a lot of stuff going on 
and it all feels scary, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that there's an increase in world issues and getting back to that like window of tolerance that I mentioned before. Mm -hmm. Our window of tolerance, right? Everyone has their own window of tolerance in their body. When we're in the window of tolerance, we're regulated, we feel good, we're connected, things are easy. As we begin to get dysregulated, we go into either upward dysregulation, which is where we have anxiety, anger, um, and we reach hyperarousal, or we can go like kind of the downward dysregulation, which is like sadness until we get to hypoarousal where we're like dissociated, depressed, really bad, right? Um, That window of tolerance, right, for our nervous system, essentially, and our activation isn't um, fixed. It's static. It changes throughout our life. So things like stress, trauma, world issues shrink that window of tolerance. And they make it easier and easier for us to feel overwhelmed. So it takes less and less to send us into a state where we're having an anxiety attack every day because everything's overwhelming. Mm -hmm. We're not in that space where things feel easy. And sometimes it's easy to think of it this way. If we look at the window of tolerance as a river, right? Mm -hmm. When the river's wide and the same amount of, and there's water rushing through it, right? The water's rushing really slowly, kind of nice, like easy river. But then same amount of water and we narrow that window right? We narrow that river, but the same amount of r- water is rushing at the rushing, right? Through that space, it's going to be rushing a lot faster. Mm-hmm. The waters are going to feel a lot choppier and more overwhelming. And it's going to feel like we're fighting a much stronger current than we have that when in reality, it's the same amount of water, mm-hmm. right? But our ability to tolerate the current has decreased. Does that make sense? Totally. Totally. So if someone was like, wow, I had no idea why I was anxious, but maybe I do scroll on Twitter and read about the acid rain in Palestine and um, somebody being killed and X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z. And like, maybe that's shrinking my window of tolerance. Would you say like, if you are someone who is feeling unaware why, but feeling a lot of panic or feeling a lot of intense Mm -hmm. emotions would you say that maybe like a social media detox would be very helpful to like gain that tolerance back to maybe a wider place and then Mm -hmm. see if you feel better and then see I don't know it because you do you receive so much and I know sometimes like Curly would get really fired up about certain issues I'm like I simply don't want to know I like want to care I care but knowing physically hurts me. Like when there's, Mm -hmm. when it feels far away and that's not all the time, but that's just like sometimes when it's like, oh my God, like, like I did delete Twitter, but because it just was, it was a lot to scroll and then taking every, and then people, I, there is like, cause I'm like half my business is just being a content creator. Half the advice for content creators these days is to be, um, I can't think of the word is to be, like when you have an opinion that's really strong, um, but like maybe goes against the grain. I think it starts with a C. Controversial. 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 And that's what will get you engagement. And I feel like that's how a lot of people find, get their Mm -hmm. stuff is by being controversial, even if they don't believe it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that was a really good point about just how your window of tolerance can be big. Sometimes it could be a wide river. It could be a narrow river, but like to be very mindful of all the things that you're in putting in when you're narrow, because then Mm -hmm. I feel like you could, if you're really stressed with work and then you're also adding those things on, that's just like outside influence that maybe Mm -hmm. aren't serving you. I could see how then it's like, Oh my God, I just had an anxiety attack in my car and I don't even know why, Mm -hmm. like what's wrong with me. (laughs) And right. And one thing that we really need to think about when we think about our window of tolerance as well is how are you rooted to the world, Mm. right? Like point blank period, how is your body being taken care of in this moment in time? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you eating enough? Do you feel safe in the home you live in, Mm. right? Do you like, is your root chakra fulfilled? Right. Right, because if we're not, 
our window of tolerance is going to be drastically altered, right? How can we expect ourselves to walk through life not feeling anxious when we're so disconnected to begin with and our foundational needs aren't met? Mm. So ensuring that you're, you're meeting your foundational needs and being nice to yourself, right? Nurturing yourself when you feel tired, when you're hungry, eat. Um, that's the beauty of the window of tolerance is that while it can be narrowed, it can also be widened by choices we make. So committing to mindfulness, meditation, focused breathing, engaging in activities that bring you joy, widens your window of tolerance, um, engaging in therapy, reading a book, literally anything that nurtures your soul and makes you feel good, right? That's going to widen our window of tolerance. That's going to help us get to a place where we can take on more. And it takes more to get us to that space of dysregulation. And we feel competent and confident to take on whatever life throws at us. Mm. I love that so much. And I love this conversation so much, Michaela. Thank you so much for being here. I'm going to ask you uh, one last question that I tend to ask every single guest, except I say that, but then like last time I interviewed Curly, I didn't ask her at the end and she was so sad. <laughs> so I always have to put the asterisk of almost every guest, but I was like, Curly, you're not a guest, you're like a co-host. But anyways, what advice do you need to give yourself right now? Mm a lovely question. I think it's the same advice I would give to everyone else, which is to listen to your body and choose yourself. Choose to show up for yourself every day, which is listening to your body, listening to your mind, listening to your soul. I love I love. Well, thank you so much. How can people connect with you? Let's say they really liked what you said. I don't know if you're allowed to work with people over Zoom that are in a different state. Anything like that, please plug yourself, your Instagram, if you want to share that, whatever feels good, please share. So I am mostly off of the technology, social media, professionally, all of my social medias are personal. Um, But if you want to get um, more information, um, about working with me professionally. If you are in the state of New York, you can reach me, um, through my clinic, which is footprints, uh, mental health counseling, footprints to feel better.com. Um, if you want to follow me just cause you think I was fun. Uh, my Instagram is Michaela Francis up to you. I put, I post really cute pictures of myself. So <laughs> yes, I love it. I love it. Thank you so much, Michaela. And we'll see you all in the next episode you enjoyed today's episode be sure to take a screenshot and tag us on instagram at so she is underscore podcast to let us know your takeaways if you could leave a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts to help us build grow and expand this to anyone it needs to reach i am so grateful for you listening and giving me your time and energy and i can't wait to see you in the next episode i love you bye